Hey, welcome to Hooked on Crime Pod, the podcast where we talk about hooks and crooks. My name is Henny, and I am here to bring you a very interesting story that I found online today at the day of this recording. Um, and I hadn't, I want to say I had heard about the murder of Danny Croto. Uh, he was found deceased on April 15th, 1972 in the Connecticut river in Chicopee, Massachusetts. Um, and it hadn't been solved, um, for, you know, 49 years. Uh, I don't know if you can hear a lapping sound in the background, but my dog is very thirsty. Um, as you guys know, there are three crime pups and they love to add, sound effects to our podcast. Um, but I'm going to go ahead and run our ads and then I will tell you the whole story as I found it online. Be right back. Hey y'all, we have a new crochet spotlight artist for you to check out. It is Osage County Crochet. If you go to facebook.com slash Osage County Crochet, you will find the Facebook page of a wonderful crochet artist by the name of Stephanie Shepard. Um, also, you can go to Ravelry.com slash designers slash Osage dash county dash crochet and pick up some of her patterns. Um, she has over 130 available and I have all of them. Uh, all of the ones that I have completed so far, because we all know I have not completed 134 patterns, um, have been wonderful. So y'all go check her out. Hey, if you guys are looking for a cute Etsy store to order things from, uh, I highly recommend designs by SMC studio, uh, go to etsy.com slash shop slash designs by smc studio and uh yeah i got the cutest earrings and shipping was fast fantastically made product um very affordable prices and stephanie who runs the shop is a wonderful gal she is a friend um and honestly like I hope she does so well and just kicks butt with her side hustle of her Etsy shop I am super proud of her for going out and doing this uh congrats stuff keep going and seriously guys check out her shop it's great hey y'all so if I get a stupid haircut I will throw a hissy fit so I went and saw Miss Allison Crawford and let me tell y'all something I walked out of the salon and I started crying because my hair looked so beautiful and I felt beautiful and I will never, ever, ever go to another stylist again. So if you want to look and feel beautiful too, uh, hit her up at 909-289-9685 or follow her on Instagram at all lowercase Allison A L. L Y S O N underscore Crawford C R A W F O R D underscore hair H A I R and y'all tip her well she deserves it she's just 
it's freaking awesome. Okay, and we're back. So what I actually found was a release from the Hampton District Attorney, uh, Anthony D. Galini. He had formally closed the investigation into the homicide of Danny Croteau. And so what I'm going to do is I'm actually going to read this straight from the Hampton DA website, which is HamptonDA.com. H-A-M-P-D-E-N-D-A dot com. If you wanted to look for it, they also have an audio file um, from an investigation or an interrogation or interview from uh, the man that was accused of these crimes. Um, and I'm going to include that for you. Uh, but yeah, let's let's get into it. So bring up the page it has a picture of this adorable little guy and it says may 24th 2021 springfield hampton district attorney anthony d galini announced the investigation into the murder of danny croto has officially been closed the investigation after danny was found deceased on april 15th 1972 in the connecticut river in chicopee still dressed in his clothes from the previous day at Our Lady of the Sacred Heart School. The search for answers and proof of what happened to Danny has ensued for over 49 years. This past Friday, detectives with the Massachusetts State Police Detective Unit assigned to the Hampton District Attorney's Office were authorized by D.A. Galini to present the case against Richard Levine to a magistrate in order to obtain an arrest warrant for the murder of Danny Croteau. However, Levine died this past Friday evening, May 21st, in a hospital facility in Greenfield. Uh, so, just on an aside, that has got to be horrible. They finally find out who did this, and the same day that they go to, you know, get this arrest warrant, he he dies. Like, good lord. Um, Back to it. Hampton District Attorney Anthony D. Galini stated Danny's parents, Carl and Bernice, told reporters that they just wanted answers. Based on the acclamation of historical evidence, the evidence gained in the last year, and the admissions of Richard Levine, I believe we now have those answers. While they didn't come in time for Danny's parents to hear them, I hope that the answers provided today are helpful to Danny's remaining family who have suffered for so long. In March of 2020, shortly after the creation of the Massachusetts State Police Unresolved Cases Unit in the Hampton District Attorney's Office, a trooper was assigned by D.A. Galini to focus on the unresolved murder of Danny Croto. In the following months, investigators and prosecutors from the Hampton District Attorney's Office assembled and combed through thousands of documents and assessed decades of evidence, which uncovered opportunities for modern forensic testing and leads on which to work. At the time of Danny's death, Richard R. Levine was a Roman Catholic priest and a friend to the Croteau family. Levine was assigned to St. Mary's Parish in Springfield. Levine met the Croteau family in 1967 while he was assigned to the Croteau's parish, St. Catherine of Siena in Springfield. Danny was the youngest of five boys in the Croteau family. He and his brothers had served as altar boys at St. Catherine's and assisted Levine in Mass. Levine also socialized with the Croteau family and frequently took some of the Croteau boys, including Danny, on outings without their parents. Father Levine also maintained contact with Danny and his family 
after he was reassigned to St. Mary's Parish in late June 1968 and continued to take the Croteau boys on trips. Levine also invited the boys, either together or alone, to stay overnight at his parents' home in Chicopee, Massachusetts. After Danny's murder, Levine became a person of interest for investigators in the early stages of the investigation because of the inconsistent and unusual statements he had made to them in the days after the murder. Investigators also determined that initially he lied about the last time he had seen Danny, and witnesses dispute Levine's claim that he was never alone with Danny. Levine was also observed along, alone along the riverbank at approximately 4.30 p.m. on April 16, 1972. On April 17, 1972, a police report of Levine's interview with investigators notes, one question asked by Levine, if a stone was used and thrown in the water, would blood still be on it? On April 17, 1972, a phone call was made to the Croteau family home. Carl Croteau Jr., then 19, answered the phone. A male voice said, we're very sorry what happened to Danny. He saw something behind the circle he shouldn't have seen. It was an accident. The caller would not identify himself and hung up. Carl Jr. told investigators that the male voice was familiar to him and that he recognized the caller's voice as belonging to Father Levine. When interviewed on January 27, 2021, Carl Croto Jr. stated that within a month to a month and a half before Danny's murder, he remembered that Danny would return from being with with Levine and Danny would be sick to his stomach from drinking alcohol. Carl also stated that his brother Danny was usually with Levine on weekends, specifically Friday nights. The scene at the riverbank where Danny's body was recovered was documented and photographed in 1972 and noted by investigators was the observance of blood-stained soil and blood-spattered rocks. These materials and various items were secured and preserved. Over the following years, Forensics testing was conducted on some of these items. While it was determined that the application of modern forensic testing might, pro might provide answers, it was also understood that given the many years that had passed, significant degradation of the evidence was likely and testing might not prove successful. Earlier this year, the Hampton District Attorney contracted with DNA Labs International, a forensics lab in Florida that worked together with the Massachusetts State Police Lab to conduct dozens of forensics tests over several rounds of testing. While this provided process provided moments of hope, ultimately, other than confirming that Danny's blood was present on stones, the resulting information failed to provide significant additional evidence to investigators. As the investigation continued over the years, and on March 23rd, 2004, Levine showed an acquaintance, an employee of the Diocese of Springfield, that he received a typed unsigned letter in the mail and further said it must have been written by the murderer himself because of the guilt it described. This person documented these conversations with Levine in emails to his superiors at the diocese. However, the Springfield's diocese did not notify investigators of the letter's existence until they were forced to produce the emails referencing the letter and answering to a grand jury subpoena in a separate criminal investigation of another clergy member in the Springfield Diocese. On April 6, 2004, investigators obtained and executed a search warrant on Levine's home in Chicopee to obtain the letter. While executing the search warrant, investigators spoke with Levine after he was advised of his rights. 
Levine told the investigators that he received the letter sometime in January 2004 and was very suspicious of it because it had no return address. He described an elaborate process of opening the letter with tweezers, placing it in a plastic bag prior to reading it because he knew about fingerprints and DNA. Levine described his own reaction to reading the letter as, quote, chilling. On March 5th, 2021, D.A. Galuni engaged in this, engaged the services of Dr. Robert Leonard, an expert in forensic linguistics, to compare an authorship analysis of the letter seized from Levine by investigators in 2004 and compare it to known writings of Levine gathered during the investigation. Dr. Leonard has been qualified as an expert in linguistics for in 14 states and six federal districts. He's a tenured professor of ling linguistics. He needs to help me learn how to speak, apparently, <laughs> or and read at Hofstra University and lectures worldwide on the topic of linguistics. Forensic linguistics applies the science of linguistic linguistics. I'm sorry. Linguistics. I swear, y'all. I, I'm just not great at reading aloud. Um, anyway, it's linguistics, not linguini. The scientific study of language to legal cases. An authorial analysis involves the examiner comparing question documents with documents of known authorship to discern linguistic patterns to determine whether a hypothesis of common authorship exists. While this analysis does not individualize the document from having originated from any certain individual, it can include or exclude an individual from having authored a question document. For this examination, Dr. Leonard was provided copies of the letters seized by investigators from Levine in 2004 in 10 writings known to have been written by Richard Levine. On May 21, 2021, Dr. Leonard informed the Hampton District Attorney's Office that based upon review of the materials that had been provided to him, in his opinion, a reasonable degree of scientific certainty, language patterns in the question document are consistent with language patterns in the known Levine documents to the point that Richard R. Levine cannot be excluded as possible candidate of authorship. Based on the trajectory of the investigation, D.A. Galini directed investigators to attempt to speak with Richard Levine over a series of five days on April 14th, 15th, 16th, and 17th, and May 4th, 2021. A Massachusetts state police officer from the Hampton District Attorney's Office conducted a series of interviews with Levine, totaling dialogue of approximately 11 hours. All interviews were audio recorded with Levine's consent. The interviews were conducted at a local medical facility where Levine was a patient. The investigator's status as a Massachusetts state police trooper and his role in the investigation into the circumstances surrounding Daniel Croteau's death were made clear to Levine. Prior to speaking with Levine on each date, Levine was oriented to time and place and was not under the influence of any medications adversely affecting his decision-making or ability to communicate. Levine was provided Miranda warnings on several occasions, and Levine voluntarily agreed to speak with the investigators on each day and was advised that he could stop questioning or request that the investigator leave his room at any time. During all of the interviews, Levine refused to specifically admit that he killed Danny Croteau and at times was cagey and evasive, continuing his long-running attempts to mislead and distract investigators. However, he made several statements to indicate that he was the last person to see Danny Croteau alive, that he brought him to the riverbank on April 14, 1972, 
and that he physically assaulted him there. And after leaving Danny there and returning a short time later, he saw Danny floating face down in the river. He stated further that he neither attempted to rescue him nor alert Danny's parents or police of Danny's whereabouts or condition. Police then discovered Danny's remains the following day on April 15th, 1972. So now I actually have a copy of the aforementioned letter um, that I am going to read to you. It starts in the top with the heading for Richard Levine and his address at the time. And the letter says, I wish to express my sympathy for your deep conflict within. You feel things very deeply. Oftentimes you can control these drives, but there were times when they were so extreme that they were beyond anyone's control. As a youth, when these base compulsions were driving you to do things you deeply felt were nauseating, your only means of countering that compelling drive was to reinforce your belief in the shamefulness of it all. When you matured, you sought salvation in the church, but found it to be a hollow shell. So you returned to your only means of countering the effects of these terrible compulsions. You reinforced your beliefs of how nauseating these compulsions were by seeing the shame and guilt of the expressions and in the eyes of youths when they were in the throes of such compulsions. Then you met a boy along the Chicopee River who felt no shame, felt no guilt, who was not nauseated, but rather reveled in such compulsions. Here you were beyond the brink of control seeking your only solace in the shame of others, and instead it was shoved back in your face all the more intensely. What human being would not have been driven over the brink in your position? Your torment must be unbearable. And that is the letter. Um, I have an audio recording that I'm going to play for y'all that is uh, some of these interviews with Levine. Obviously, it's not 12 hours worth. It's about five and a half minutes. Um, but yeah, I I am very glad that the family for Danny Croto was given an answer as to what happened. Um, and it just, I'm very glad also that the crime was solved. It just sucks that the guy who did it died the same day that the arrest warrant was being obtained. Um, just for the simple fact that he was able to go and live out the rest of his life. Uh, and he should have been behind bars. Um, and I just hope that the Croto family can find some solace in the fact that the man who did commit these crimes, although he did get to go out and live his life while Danny was unable to continue his very short life is gone. Um, and I just, you know, I saw this online and I thought it was very, very interesting story. So I wanted to share it with y'all, but I am going to play you guys the audio and I hope you guys have a fantastic rest of the day. Uh, please stick around and listen to that audio and y'all stay safe and get to hooking. Bye-bye. You know, I was actually speaking about Danny Grogo for two days now. But, um, he, was a, he was a strange, um, interesting kid. You know, not too bright. 
I was trying to make jokes about things. And if you didn't answer, he increased his voice. You turn around and feel like saying, will you shut up? Why did you go down there with him? To the river? Yes. He wanted to see the waterfall. Okay. Up close. Then what happened? So I took him on the other side of uh, the Chicopee River. And we walked up and down. And, uh... That's all I can remember about that. Why did you hit him when he was down by the riverbank? Why would you do it down there? I don't remember hitting him down by the riverbank. But give him a good shove. You did give him a good shove? Why did you give him a good shove? Because he was being... How should I say? Same reason you probably um, push your own son. So hey, Billy, you don't do that. Explain to me how you came across the body. I just saw it floating. You saw it floating. How did you know it was Danny? The way, the way he was dressed. And what did you do after you saw the body in the water? I don't remember what I did. I don't remember telling anyone. Did you tell the police? I don't believe I did. I don't believe you did either. Did you confide in any friends? No, it's not something I confide in. I just remember being heartbroken when I saw his body going on the river, knowing I was responsible for giving him a big shove. seeing him face down in the river. Yeah. And that was after you left him there. Yeah. That was the same day that you left him there. Right. Okay. It's my greatest regret. Do you say that's your greatest regret? To my great regret. To your great regret. How did you feel when you returned home? Kind of heavy hearted. Why? Well, he's a nice little kid. Kind of dumb, but still charming in a way.
try to share this with the public, they probably wouldn't believe it. When I say they wouldn't believe it, they would probably <coughs> build conjecture around the, uh, the revelation that I make. Yes. I'd sooner forget the whole thing, frankly. Tell it. 